Our U.S. Air Force General has warned of a possibility of a direct war between the United States and China, most likely on the issue of Taiwan. And he says that this could happen as early as 2025. And to this end, he's now urged his commanders to push their units to achieve maximum operational battle readiness. An internal memorandum or this issue, in fact, emerged on social media. And this, interestingly, was later confirmed to be genuine by the Pentagon. In the memorandum, the head of the U.S. Air Mobility Command, General Mike Minahan, has said that the main goal should in fact be to, see, would be to deter and, if required, to defeat China. Minahan said that he hopes that he's in fact wrong, but he also added that his gut feeling says that the United States may have to fight a war with China by as early as 2025. The General Minahan reasoned his arguments on this. Taiwan has presidential elections next year. This would offer the Chinese President Xi Jinping an excuse for military aggression. And during this time, the United States would be most likely distracted by its own contest for the White House. The General Minahan hence has said that Xi's team, reason and opportunity are all aligned for a possible conflict in the year 2025. The senior U.S. officials have said in recent months that China appears to be speeding up its time frame for seizing control of Taiwan. The China staged major military exercises in August last year, seen as a trial run for an invasion after a defiant visit of a solidarity to Taipei by the then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. China takes Taiwan by force in 2024. Welcome back to More War Mondays. Finally, here on the Rob Manus Show live on our news station, Patriot.tv. And yes, we still have our X Spaces live audience simulcast, and we're glad to have Cat and Shell as our hosts back over there. Well, that was a year ago, that video you just saw. And General Minahan, uh, my old neighbor from Dias Air Force Base, he took a lot of heat for that as did those of us who agreed with his approach for having the audacity to actually order his forces to prepare for war with China over the Taiwan issue. Well, it turns out he may have been slightly wrong, but only about the year China would move. As Don broke this morning in the United States, breaking news reporting revealed China has stationed four warships permanently around the island nation. Taiwan's recent election of a pro-independence president is a big potential trigger point for China's President Xi to move forward quickly and take Taiwan by force. And China's alliance with Iran and Russia strengthened in the last two years by our own decisions pushing them closer together over the Ukraine war could be the reason why increasing pressure by Iranian forces in the Middle East is ramping up on the U.S. and her allies through the attacks on U.S. forces since October 7, 2023. I said at the time of Minahan's memo that I thought China would move earlier than 2025 in order to avoid having a President Trump in office, and it looks like 2024 might just be that time. Well, friend of the show, retired Army Colonel John Mills, has spent the last few weeks in Taiwan and joins us today to discuss what we'll be seeing from China if they are going to invade Taiwan this year and talk about the election and what he talked to, to folks on the ground about. John, my friend, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. It's been too long. Hey, Rob. Uh, uh, thank you. Happy New Year. Great to be on the show with you again. Yeah, Happy New Year, man. Uh, so so tell me, 
uh, talking to folks on the ground uh, in the island nation of Taiwan, uh, what's what's your sense of the citizens uh, uh, out there? Oh, there's three uh, three parties that were right now. There was three parties that were running the DPP uh, Democratic Progressive Party, which is the party in power. They've had two terms as president. They won, and that's the party uh, that uh, China did not want to win. Don't get confused. People say Democratic Democratic Progressive Party. Well, that's not us. Well, I mean, people need to chill out and just not not get hung up on these names of foreign parties and things like that. Um, it is uh, that is your that is your conservative make America make Taiwan great again party the populist party they won also known as the Green Party uh, so again don't get confused uh, then there's the legacy KMT party now I get some folks who say KMT that's Chiang Kai Shek that's the party we want to win uh, newsflash that party has been corrupt and in the tank and the pocket of China for years and probably all where it always was. And you need, and uh, I've had to really update and uh, uh, relearn Chiang Kai-shek. I mean, he was uh, he was a thug, a scoundrel, and for every dollar the CIA gave him, uh, 80 percent, 80, eighty cents went into his his uh, pocket. So you thought ten percent for the big guy was bad? How about eighty percent? Um, and then uh, the TPP, the Taiwan People's Party, they you know, they've come out a new party. Uh, they tried to play the middle ground between the two parties. The KMT was trying to play that if you vote green, if you vote for the P, uh, uh, DPP, um, you know, it's a vote for war, vote for KMT, it's a vote for peace. There was this ghost written article in Foreign Affairs magazine uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations, the group we love so much. They clearly ghost wrote that article. They clearly were trying to uh, uh, conduct an election influence operation to get, get the citizens to vote blue and vote for the KMT, which would have put China in charge. Uh, it belly flopped. It was the same argument. It's funny enough. It's the same argument used against Reagan in 84 uh, by Walter Mondale. Vote for me, it's peace. Vote for Reagan, it's war. Same routine. And it's funny. If you look at the CFR membership, uh, there's, there's more than a few people who are around and involved in the 84 election campaign on both sides. So uh, so the, the Green Party won. Uh, but, you know, one, one thing that's funny, all three parties said strongly increased defense spending. Now, I don't know if you could trust the KMT to that, but the TPP actually had the strongest defense increase. Uh, and they've been they've been really uh, spiking the defense spending. That's good. But, you know, there's a 19 billion dollar back order of, of war material they've already paid for that has not been delivered yet in between Ukraine, Israel uh mm -hmm. and taiwan and by the way our own in, i mean and our own needs uh it just our defense industrial base is pathetic and uh 19 billion back order for taiwan and to be honest uh between the three i'd uh i'd i'm not sure if i'd i'd, I'd put uh israel and, and taiwan at the top uh i'd uh, mm -hmm. i might wait it depends on material i might wait it toward uh sea mines uh israelis don't need any sea mines right. so uh uh so that's that's what's going on. A great victory, great victory. So was the average citizen? Because I know you got out and about and talked to people, uh, uh, you know, uh, drinking tea and those kind of things. Uh, so does the average average citizen have a heightened sense of concern uh, that uh, the CCP uh, might move this year? As I said in my opening, uh, which is just opinion, by the way, uh, but. Uh, 
but I mean, there are some, there are some, uh, uh, folks that want, we want to know what the Taiwanese citizens think about this. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, clearly this is a big issue. Um, and China this year tried to play it a little more close to the vest, uh, this year, but they just, they, they're going to have to sit on their hands at the next election because they couldn't restrain themselves. She made a very strong statement at the end of December. Uh, the election was on December or January 13th. Uh, and then, uh, in the week leading up, there was a missile launch that was explained away as a commercial satellite launch. Um, and, uh, there was, uh, uh, also, some very strong, a strong statement from Xi, a strong statement from uh, the PLA leader, which I don't know who it is this week, and uh, um, so that that kind of, that really rubs the fur the wrong way. And the and the Taiwanese are sweet and precious, gentle people. You know, they're, they're, it's not in their DNA to grouse, complain, worry, uh, at least publicly. But I think this is a big, big issue, and uh, and uh, uh, the the DPP is clearly the one the party that's serious about holding the ground. I think the TPP, for in some ways, is serious, but uh, they just haven't gotten religion yet on the mortal threat. Uh, the KMT talks a game, but you know, just go onto YouTube and see some of the fights in the legislature. Uh, the KMT, you know, fought tooth and nail on the defense increases. They fought the submarine, uh, the new submarine that China, or excuse me, that uh, Taiwan has produced, which was U.S. law from 2006. We will provide them the technology and the expertise to help them build a domestic submarine. Uh, it just, it's taken them a lot of years, but they just rolled it out. I think mean, it was late last year. They rolled it out. So 06 to 23, that's 17 years it's taken them. Uh, but the KMT's fought this. Uh, but yeah, this is a real and mortal threat, and I think they're taking it more and more seriously. Yeah, I think the the outcome of the election uh, shows it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's good to hear that they've got some industrial base built up uh, on the submarine issue and those kind of things. Uh, I mean, our industrial base is pathetic, as you mentioned, uh, uh, but surely the Taiwanese uh, uh, are are building their in defense industry out as much as they possibly can. Uh, I mean, we're not limiting them, are we? Uh, okay, I don't know how we define by limiting. We have just, until recently, in the last two, as much as we're, we're not happy with uh, the Biden team, which we shouldn't be happy with the Biden team, but this last two National Offense Authorization Acts have been extremely explicit on support for Taiwan. And people are going, I don't, I don't know that if we're going to come to their defense, uh, be, uh, I'm sorry, between the language in the original 1979 TRA, uh, Taiwan Relations Act and the last two NDAAs, uh, it's extremely explicit that uh, we will, we will defend Taiwan. And Taiwan has a very robust capability anyway, uh, industrial capability and capacity. One thing uh, they and they just received, they were just given approval like a week or two ago, because very, very few countries, uh, Israel is one of them, have the approval where they could take American war material and essentially produce it on their own, license produce it. And that was just given to uh, Taiwan just in the last week or two. That's a good idea. Um, and to, to be honest, I, I was I was given special access to the winning party. I can't say any details about who I talked to or what we talked about, but uh, um, getting Taiwan involved in production of their own war material that they bought from us uh, is a great idea. 
it frees up our capacity, but also guess what? They're very good at producing things and they could very well just, uh, we're short on uh, HIMARS rockets, guess what? They could very probably do a lot better job. Lockheed Martin, Arkansas, love you, love you all. But uh, I think uh, I think Taiwan uh, now that they have yeah. license to do this, they could they could do some great things. And one thing we've talked about uh, also with our partners, South mm -hmm. Korea, Japan, and uh, there's been this big deal in uh, Subic Bay, uh, this dormant South Korean shipyard that was shut down as inefficient. It was a brand right. new shipyard built in 2003. It's been reopened in a teaming arrangement, not with just a, a, a new South Korean owner, but also with Austal, uh, 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 an Australian slash American company, along with the mm -hmm. US Navy, uh, along uh, with, uh, there's even looks like some Taiwanese connection to uh, as a repair uh, as a it's a it's a one of the largest shipper ship uh, building facilities in the world for for repair because of our huge maintenance backlog in the US Navy it could be used there but even mm -hmm. building modular components of a ship and sending and floating up you know there's there's different transport ships that could carry those over here um, right. you know our, our our new navy frigate the constellation frigate is now a year behind schedule why because fin cantieri up in wisconsin yes we do make ships up in wisconsin um yes. uh, doesn't have the work do. doesn't have the workforce well holy smokes mm. give them half the taiwanese make make major assemblies under contract and just send them to fin cantieri so all they're doing is welding the sections together okay that's uh that's we got to start thinking smart on these things oh yeah we do man uh, we've got to, that's why i asked the question about the taiwanese because i know they're an industrious people and, and they produce amazing things on the in their own right anyway you know and uh uh it, well we're, we run out of time before the first break for a question but on the back side after the little cold open video john we'll take a question from the uh, spaces live audience uh so that uh uh, they can get a feel for what you uh, have experienced the last few weeks. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into what are the strategic indicators that uh, we are looking for to see if this will actually happen in 2024 as far as China trying to take Taiwan uh, through the use of force. Uh, so I'm Rob Manus here on Rob Manus Live with uh, retired Army Colonel John Mills talking about Taiwan, the Communist Chinese Party. Uh, and whether we'll see some type of military action out there before Donald Trump is reelected. And we'll be right back after these messages. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 877-547-5743. That's 877-KIRK-PHD.
But we know that the Taiwanese just had their election. They have picked a government that isn't pro-China. We also know that China has made a lot of overt threats about the outcome of the election. And the question that's all on our mind is, will they invade Taiwan? I've said before on this channel that China's data chart this year is really, really exciting. They are going through two key transits. We have Pluto going across the Ascendant. It promises deep power struggle and transformation. We also have transiting Uranus on China's IC, which promises a lot of destabilization and unrest and chaos, especially when it comes to territory and land. So back to the question, will they invade Taiwan? I don't have a boss to say yes, so I'm just gonna say it's really possible. And of course, any kind of war is bad, so let's hope for the best. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show. Uh, we're talking war, more War Mondays here, and that was even a Chinese uh, or Taiwanese astrologist uh, uh, is saying very possible uh, that the CCP and President Xi uh, might try to retake Taiwan by force in 2024 before Donald J. Trump is reelected. If he is reelected, then it's looking really good for him right now, but you never know what's going to happen in the next nine and a half months. Uh, uh, but uh, so our guest today is retired U.S. Army Colonel and uh, former senior DOD official John Mills, who has spent the last few weeks in Taiwan covering the elections and uh, uh, talking to folks about their defense capabilities uh, and uh, whether they're concerned or not. John, uh, we're, we're so pleased to have you back with us. Let's go over to my Spaces audience uh, and see. I know somebody's got a question over there that they want to ask you. I didn't get to it in the last segment. So, Kat, Shell, go ahead. Looks like AJ's got a question for you, Colonel. Go ahead, AJ. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yes. Thank you, Colonel Manis. Uh Colonel Mills, I have a question, sir. Uh, in the old world, as I'm sure you know, the power projection is uh, measured by the numeration of any given uh, capability, let it be troop numbers or ship numbers or any other. Um, and um, as I'm sure you've heard, if China could get away with classifying every uh, fishing boat as an aircraft carrier just to make their numbers look better, they would do so. Um, what are your expectations in regards to their actual capabilities versus what they tend to project, given the fact that we have multiple carrier strike groups and one always forward deployed to uh, Japan? Uh, with that, I yield. Thank you very much, and thank you, uh, Colonel Manus. Thanks, AJ. Well, thank you, AJ. That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> the Chinese have built up a magnificent military, but uh, I mean, you've got a great point, AJ. Just because it looks great doesn't mean they know how to do uh, use it. Uh, the reality is they have never done um, any amphibious invasion, much less something like this that would be essentially the equivalent of the Normandy invasion in World War II, where we went only 25 miles after three years of preparation uh, in, uh, uh, to, to land on the, on the mainland and defeat the Nazis. So that's a great question. Uh, war does, usually does not go your way. Uh, that's why you have to be flexible. They are not good at being flexible. Uh, 
What I would suggest is the stormy season, the typhoon season really starts in April and goes to October. The Taiwan Straits are much, much wider than the, this, uh, the English Channel, which is 25 miles at its narrowest point. Uh, at its narrowest point, it's 100 miles. Uh, it's uh, more like 125 to 150 at its widest point. So you got a pretty significant uh, gap which is lovely from a defense perspective. And you got a lot of high winds. And then again, you got the typhoon season. So if they're going to make a move, which they've never done before like this, it's called, it's a World War I reference, but it's still apropos, is they need to execute their ra railway timetable now. That means you have to flow the right logistics, the right supplies, to the right port in the right sequence to load the correct ship. That's a very complex operation. They've never done anything on this scale. It's going to be a mess. However, comma, and, and oh, by the way, she has been uh, uh, disappearing general after general. He's put admirals in charge now, a senior military is an admiral for the first time. Um, <clears throat> so this is going to be a mess. But uh, in many ways, she is feeling cornered. Things are not at the same time going very good for them. They're going very bad domestically. The economy's bad. Food supplies are bad. Energy is still very tenuous. Um, but that doesn't mean he won't invade. Um, uh, when dictators are up against a wall domestically, they always invade. So even if his military is not prepared, they might do it. Uh, it'll be a mess. And uh, as soon as you see just a few of those transports, it'll be very also very visually obvious as long as our intelligence community is not totally distracted by CRT and DEI training, they should be able to pick it up. And, they, and the Taiwanese are pretty good about this. So and they just you just light up a few of those transport ships uh, once they start to move. It will be a yeah. absolute circus. So you're saying we won't get caught flat-footed again like what happened on October 7th, 2023, John? Well, definitely not October 7th, but with the Russian invasion, our intelligence community got it right after six months yeah, of shouting they're going they to invade. Okay, but uh, of course, the Biden team failed to do anything about it. They just shouted they're going to invade, and Putin says, well, they're, they're, they keep on shouting I'm going to invade, so I guess I'm going to invade. I mean, this is just ridiculous. But we're, we're hoping that our IC does not get distracted. And, and again, this is gonna be very visually obvious. And I think even this is where social media is actually gonna play a role because I guarantee you social media on this is gonna slip out one way or another. Yeah, so do, so do we have it down to, we know which ports they have to use in order to be effective uh, in, in taking these this rolling stock really? Uh, and manpower and, and, and all, you know, and, and supplies like fuel, ammo, uh, those kind of things uh, and getting them onto the right ships at the, in the right sequence at the right time. Do we have it? Do we have a sense? We know exactly which ports they're going to use at this point to do well, that. Details like that. I'm hoping the J5 at Indo-Pacific Command uh, and the J2 have already worked out these kind of details for our contingency plans. Um, but it's really, uh, it's Ningbo and uh, 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 above Taiwan on the mainland, above Fujian provinces, you get into Shanghai. It's really, a lot of it's gonna come from there. The only problem is that's the closest to uh, all of the Japanese, South Korean and American air capabilities. So that's a challenge. They start aggregating and concentrating there. 
that's going to be the easiest to hit by 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 the non Taiwanese side. And, and and oh by the way, the Taiwanese have a fair number of long range tomahawk like missiles. Um, mm -hmm. We've slow rolled a lot of the assistance on those because we were always were afraid of a first strike, and I don't think a first strike is a good idea. But as soon as they start massing and coming at Taiwan. Um, uh, something's going to happen where you, uh, Taiwan will likely un unleash. And, and at that time, Taiwan would unleash on all the ports because you're going to have second and third waves, and that's going to light up the ports and the airfields. So that's uh, Fujian. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot directly across because the challenge is you put a few mines in the top end of the, the, the straits and the bottom end of the straits, you, you create a kill box. Uh, where right. if you're inside that, you, you really can't go anywhere. And if you're outside, you don't want to try to cross that line of mines. So I think a lot of it's going to come from the south. And that's going to be the uh, Guangdong province, uh, Guangzhou area, Hainan Island. Mm -hmm. That is actually the south of Taiwan is actually the more approachable and weaker because of the lack of allied forces. Now, we have built base camps. And I actually was just going through DOD photo libraries and found several where we have actually occupied uh, Basco Island, which is halfway in between the Philippines and Taiwan. Uh, that gives you about maybe a, a 150 miles to the north, 150 miles to the south. And we put high, at least high Mars there, if not the new Typhoon missile system. And we put any kind of censoring capability there to interdict any submarine movements. That's deadly to the Chinese. Right. Yeah. Uh, so have, have we seen, do we have any experience with this, the uh, People's Liberation Army running deception operations as they practice uh, uh, doing these, you know, lineups to move trains into the right places, you know, uh, equipment in the right sequence uh, coming out of their air bases and, and uh, ground, uh, you know, Marine Corps bases and those kind of things. Uh, have we seen any uh, in them practicing anything like that? Or uh, because it seems like it's just a wide open area, it's really hard to have a deception plan uh, to mask. Yeah, this. yeah, it, yeah. So it's going to be pretty hard to cover up. They have had some mini exercises, but again, these were large, but not that large. And they mimic, uh, if you look on the web, uh, you'll find a number of our PowerPoint slides on what we call JLOT, Joint Logistics Over the Shore Operations. Clearly, they mm -hmm. have grabbed those slides and are mimicking them because that's how they, they've, they've learned to, hey, we're going to use uh, civilian, uh, civilian merchant vessels. We're going to have transferability from uh, more militarized ships down to a uh, expeditionary dock, like uh, we have the expeditionary dock. And then from that dock, we're going to load that onto landing craft. They clearly have been reading our slides. And again, you know, they read everything we do, everything. I mean, that's why we don't, we don't read our legislation. They read our legislation better than we do. So better to let them read it, analyze it, and then we'll just rip it off uh, through signals intelligence. And then uh, yeah. we'll... That, then we'll know what our legislation says because we obviously don't even read our yeah. own legislation. <laughs> no, we don't, unfortunately, and, uh, and it shows. Uh, that, you know, I think they're the only other country in the world that's developing a joint logistics over the shore capability, uh, from what I can tell. That 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 would be uh, on a reasonable expectation of, a, of trying to match what we're doing. Well, let's go over to the spaces audience. I see a hand up over there, uh, and take another question before the break. Uh, go ahead, Shell. All right, Colonel. This question is for uh, Mr. Mills from Thomas Murphy in the audience. 
Um, he is asking how many Chinese spy satellites has launched out of the Wechang Space Launch Port in China since 2020. <laughs> do I look like a uh, I biologist I here? How do I, I? I don't have that exact number. That's a great question. Uh, I'd have to look that up. I, I, I'd have to look that up. I don't know, but but I think the point is Thomas's point is good. Uh, they have clearly uh, demonstrated a uh, that they want to dominate space. They they copied our what's that that miniature unmanned space shuttle, the X thirty nine, I think it is um, X thirty seven B. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of those two. I can't remember, but you know what? That's the, it's like a mini unmanned space shuttle. We've used that to fly around, and we've seen that deploying and retrieving a lot of things. So I don't, Thomas. That's a great question. I don't know the exact answer to that question, but I can assure you they have been a launch frenzy, and they, they, they. Uh, we just take their word for it you know in international protocols and announcement of launches we're we try to be more transparent even if it's a military classified payload we just say it's a military classified payload you know they mm -hmm. they they're always they're lying about everything so uh if it's a space launch the it's most likely a military classified payload uh but they they, they are horrible at announcement they the the uh satellite that was over hawaii and doing the lasering tests i mean they they there was almost no uh transparency on the capabilities or weight of that launch um but uh so anything they launch great question zoom it has a military capability great great question thomas even the stuff they've sent to the moon and they're, they're working hard trying to match the united states and russia uh and exceed our capabilities to get stuff to the moon uh, uh, I think has a as a more of a military capability than a civilian capability. Well, John, we got to take another break on the way back. Uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, the allies that Taiwan is counting on, and uh, if they're being peeled off somehow. Uh, when you see this next cold open clip, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm Rob Manus on Patriot TV. We'll be right back. Talk. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, Long time no see. No can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. reportedly offered Nauru US $100 million NT $3.14 billion to job diplomatic ties with Taiwan in favor of Beijing, while Tavalu ambassador warned that China is much less transparent than, than Taiwan when it comes to foreign aid. 
On Monday, January 15, Nauru announced that it was severing diplomatic relations with Taiwan, and Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs (MOFA) responded by also terminating diplomatic relations with the Pacific Island country. Taiwan's Deputy Foreign Minister Tian Chongguang said, "MOFA obtained intelligence in 2023 that China had engaged with Nauru's political leaders and offered economic incentives to get the countries to change recognition. Despite efforts to engage in bilateral cooperation projects, Nauru continued to seek substantial economic assistance from Taiwan and compared it with the aid proposal from China." Regarding the amount China offered Nauru, Tian said that he was not at liberty to disclose the exact figure, but said it far exceeds the amount of aid we provide to our diplomatic allies. But according to a senior Taiwanese official, China offered Nauru 100 million U.S. dollars in annual economic assistance to switch diplomatic relations. Taiwan now has only 12 diplomatic allies, and one of them is Tuvalu. Tuvalu's ambassador to Taiwan, Bikenebi Panu, warned the aid China is proposing to poor countries is not transparent. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show here live on Patriot TV,、uh, folks. And our guest today is retired U.S. Army Colonel John Mills, a former senior DOD. Uh, official, and、uh, he's been to Taiwan in the last few weeks, and we're talking the potential for war between Taiwan and China, and hence、uh, Taiwan's major ally is the United States. And we've long said that we would defend、uh, Taiwan if the Chinese Communist Party tried to take it back by force. Well, John,、uh, that little clip there—you know—we rely on our allies so much, and, and Taiwan does too. And for China to be peeling, you know, trying to peel the allies off that it has、uh, that might come to its defense、uh, using these dollars,、uh, uh, it really got my attention when I saw the clip. Is there should there be a major concern about this? Well, I don't mean to call Nauru a tiny island、uh, republic, but it's a tiny island republic that clearly, I think, the message is they're corrupt and have been. Bought off by the almighty dollar, which the Chinese have to use to buy them off. They still have to use the dollar to buy them off. But、uh, yeah, it's concerning. But I think, in many ways, a tipping point has been reached on Taiwan for potential、uh, revisiting representation in the UN. Nauru is、uh, is just above the Solomon Islands, another place that got ripped off by the、uh, a corrupt leader who definitely, and that's a much larger, far more important uh, 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 republic that、uh, clearly he was bought off and corrupt. His people do not agree with him at all.、Uh, we don't know what's going on in the Solomon Islands, and that's that's、uh, that gives them a base behind the second island chain, which includes Guam, Tinian, and Saipan. And it gives them a straight shot to Australia. So yeah, I don't like that,、um, but I think in many ways、uh, there is a positive trend line toward getting Taiwan back in one way or another. And we just gotta, we just are gonna have to use, uh, uh, you know, America first leadership in the next administration starting this fall to the tip of the spear on these matters are our ambassadors and the careerists and the. To be honest, the Obama Biden、uh, 
politicals are almost better ambassadors than uh, the careerists because the De State Department careerists uh, really uh, have not been helpful in many ways. Um, and I've seen it firsthand many times. So our, our we got to wake up our ambassadors. I mean, we got a, we got a Ponte in uh, Panama. She's a, pol uh, I think she's a political, but she's not advocating well for America, America first and Panama would love to see Americans. And a lot of this is a failure of state department to, for these ambassadors to be effective representatives of America. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned the Panama on the, uh, you know, the Panama Canal we've talked about before on this show. It really is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party because the Chinese company controls it now and, uh, and provides the services there. And all Chinese companies are CCP. Uh, many of them are CCP and PLA. Uh, if I were the Chinese, uh, that company would be PLA owned uh, specifically or the Chinese Navy. Uh, either way, when I say PLA, oftentimes I'm talking about, you know, like DOD uh, is talked about here in the United States. But uh, uh, but yeah, and it also brings to mind the Belt and Road Initiative, which is their their, you know, their open open source uh, name for the efforts to uh, to really co-opt uh, folks, uh, countries around the world, especially poor countries and those kind of things. Now, you, you mentioned the Solomons and I, I'm concerned about that, too. Do we have any bases in the Solomon Islands? Uh, I'm not that familiar. Uh, no, we we haven't any had any bases there since since the Second World War. Um, you know, and we really had no need for bases. But again, this was uh, we were sharing an ambassador. Uh, they had one third of a U.S. ambassador because we were sharing an ambassador between Vanuatu uh, and uh, uh, who's the Papua New Guinea. That's right, Papua New Guinea. Uh, and the Solomon Islands had each of them had a third of a U.S. ambassador. That is really bad statecraft and diplomacy. And I, I tell you what, and if I have any say in that over the in the next administration, we're going to cut that silliness out. I mean, at least appoint a careerist to be a full time person. We, we've just blown it. The tip of the spear should always be State Department. Everybody thinks DOD, DOD, DOD. No, 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 no. It should always be State Department. It should be other departments and agencies too. Commerce, um, Treasury, things like that. That should be the face of U.S. representation. Uh, we think DOD too much, uh, but uh, the statecraft at these eight departments and agencies is horrible. And uh, they, they need to be advocating for America, not apologizing for America. And I've seen that. And I tell you what, I've, I've sometimes when I had the, the, the proper uh, situation, I would uh, make it very clear that that was absolutely the wrong answer. And even when it wasn't my place, I'd make it clear because that's just that talk like that where where they're always just apologizing for America. Uh, foreign partners want authenticity and transparency. Groveling yeah. and pandering is not authenticity and transparency. Well, we know they're really good at raising the pride flag on the right day. So, you know, maybe they're just overly yeah. focused on the wrong things, uh, their political ideology instead of what's best for the United States of America. Uh, I'm just putting it in my own words, what you just said, John. I mean, it's it's really uh, disappointing that the, the State Department uh, has gone so uh, out into left field, no pun intended, lefties. Uh, and I think even the career foreign service officers, many of them are, uh, they've always been kind of slightly left-leaning, but we expected that 
but in the problem money, I mean, we get, we put so much money into the combatant commands that have divvied up the world. So the four star, uh, commanders there, they have the money and money is power and power is ability to communicate. And, you know, uh, is that well, one of the of issues? Is... So maybe we should put some more money into the state department's, uh, area operations that match those uh, we... combatant command. Orders? Yeah, I don't have the numbers handy immediately, but you know, a lot of people have this perception that we just have immense largesse that we give out through State Department. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not the 1950s anymore when we have the Marshall Plan. Um, right. uh, we, you know, basic standards is like 2% of GDP for military spend. You know, there's also reasonable standards for foreign aid spend. And we're actually, even though we're huge, we're paltry when it comes to percentages. So that's another art form because a lot of these State Department folks really don't have um, tactical money to influence the situation. And we got to get better at that because if you put a bunch of policy types out there and they really have no money, uh, well, that doesn't, that's not helpful, but we got to, we got it doesn't have to be a lot of money. And that's the other problem. You're, you're going to just flood these fl flooding with big money is not helpful either. You know, a, a small amounts of money that are very judiciously applied, have a lot of leverage and influence. And, uh, and we got to get better at that. We do have to give them some more. There is DOD money that comes out that is kind of like Title 22 aid money, but um, there we could do a better job. Although we're, we're a lot better than most countries, we could still do a better job coordinating between state and DOD on priorities. Yeah, I'd like to see that change because I think we lead too much with the military muscle, uh, even, even when we're not, uh, you know, engaged in combat operations against a, an adversary in an, in an area of responsibility, you know, uh, leading with the commanders of the, of the combatant commands, instead of leading with our, our state department personnel, uh, is, uh, is something we need, we need to work on that because you know what, you know, looking back through history of the origins of the country during the declaration of independence years and all that, the successes were built on diplomatic missions to places like the Netherlands and France, they weren't built on military power because we really didn't have any, uh, you know, and, uh, and I think a lot of our successes throughout our history, when you really analyze them and strip away the veneer, you see that it's where we were good at our foreign policy, uh, linked loosely with our military policy, but with foreign policy taking the lead where we've been most successful, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's where you have uh, military missions that can be very helpful. This is where you have active guard and reserve engineer units in the in the army or in the navy or or the air force. The air force has significant engineering capabilities coming in yeah. to do a uh, build a bridge, build a road, build a. Uh, build a, a well, you know, to us, we're going, oh, that's a big deal. Well, to a lot of these places, that is a big deal. So uh, operations like that are hugely helpful. So a humanitarian uh, operation, you call it a med cap or a, a medical deployment where you come in and do, uh, you do some basic dental hygiene. Most of these people have never even seen a doctor or a dentist. So little things like that go a long way. So that's a huge mm -hmm. part where deal DOD can help, you know, State Department sets the priorities, where to go, sets, tees mm -hmm. up the ball, and then DOD comes in with capabilities like that. Hugely, hugely helpful. 
Absolutely. Well, let's take a question real quick before the break from the uh, live audience. Uh, go ahead, Cat. Uh, uh, I see your hand up there. Go ahead. Um, okay. I was going to say something about diplomacy, but you, you got me, Colonel. Um, okay, so this is the $64 million question, right? At the end of the day, is China really going to go into Taiwan? We've been watching this song and dance for quite a while, and I'm thinking to myself, I feel like sometimes they gain a lot of power by the constant threat of it, that constant, like, you know, they, they dip their toe out there, they do, they, they fly over, they do the exercises out there where they're showing their military might and like the threatening stance. And then they never quite follow through. And I hate to put that in the universe like that. But what I'm saying is, is at the end of the day, do we really, are they really going to go in or are they, or is this, is, are they gaining more power by the constant threat of it? Just wondering if that's even an option that they're thinking of. 20 seconds, John. Yeah, Kat. Well, I think first and foremost, they like to defeat America. This is not about Taiwan. This is about America. They'd like to defeat us without fighting. That's by collapsing us through invasion of the southern border fentanyl. But uh, she is up against a wall here domestically. Okay. I think he has six courses of action at this point in time, six possible courses of action for hard invasion soft invasion, envelopment, or in other words, blockade, bypassing Taiwan and going for like a, a bigger footprint in the Solomon Islands, doing nothing as the fifth course of action, probably not going to happen. He uh, he has to deliver something if uh, or he's going to get taken out by his own people. And the last is stoke the expanding uh, uh, arson fires that are breaking out across the world. We have 14 major regional conflicts or flashpoints, every one of them. And I'm including the open southern border and Chinese uh, special operators coming in that are already in place in America. Um, that he's doing a lot. I mean, Hamas, that is China. The attack on merchant shipping in the Middle East, biggest assault on merchant shipping since World War II. That's really China. The, the, we always hear the Houthis. Well, the Houthis work for Iran. Iran works for China. So six courses of action that are conceivable right now, but he's got to do something. The fifth course of action, doing nothing, very unlikely. Yeah, I agree, John. Well, we've got to take our last break, uh, folks. Uh, I'm Rob Manus uh, on Patriot TV. We'll be right back with Colonel John Mills uh, talking China, Taiwan, and next the United States, and we'll hear from the person I think is going to be the next president and his thoughts on the issue. We'll be What if this happened to you when you're alone? Or what if it happened here? With MedGuard Alert, you're never alone. You can connect with medical professionals anywhere, anytime. And now MedGuard is introducing our exclusive new CareWatch. If you need help quickly, use it from anywhere to contact medical professionals. No cell phone required. The CareWatch is not only a life-saving medical alert device, it's a revolutionary health monitoring system that checks your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen saturation, and much more. And here's the best part. If you have Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. The care watch is only available through MedGuard Alert. Call us right now. We have monitoring programs starting as low as a dollar a day. The call is free. Activation is free. Shipping is free. And no contract is required. Remember, with Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. Don't wait. Call us to get your care watch right now. Operators are standing by.
the U.S. help defend Taiwan if it means going to war with China? Well, I don't want to say it because if I'm in the position of president, I don't want to say what I'm thinking. You know, I just if I if I answer that question, it'll put me in a very bad negotiating position. Uh, with that being said, Taiwan did take all of our chip business. You know, we used to make our own chips. Now they're made in Taiwan. Ninety percent of the chips advanced are made in semiconductor Taiwan. chips. Ninety percent are, no, are no, made they, in they Taiwan. Have, if they, China they make, goes they in everything. there, they'll be able to turn the world on and off. Isn't uh, that right? Uh, if China takes Taiwan, they will turn the world off potentially. I mean, potentially. Uh, but remember this. Taiwan took, smart, brilliant, they took our business away. We should have stopped them. We should have taxed them. We should have tariffed them. I want to ask you about these little... Welcome back to the Rob Mina Show. That was uh, the 45th president of the United States talking this year uh, about Taiwan and, uh, and, and doing the smart play. Uh, and I'll, I'll go to my guest, Colonel John Mills, uh, who's with us to, uh, to ask him what he thinks. I think uh, President Trump there was doing the smart play uh, instead of the, the uh, bull in the china shop thing that you hear from Joe Biden a lot about, about what we're going to do, et cetera, and, and staying nuanced there, but then pointing out how important Taiwan is to us, especially with the chip industry. Uh, and then going to, why did we let them do that in the first place? Why didn't we take care of our military, or not our military, but our industrial complex here in the United States so that we could still manufacture those? Well, I, I think uh, a nuanced approach works when you're speaking from a position of strength and you are a, a good negotiator. Now, that makes sense with Donald J. Trump. That works, that works well. Because, uh, listen, I, I don't care what uh, uh, all of the elites, globalists, and legacy media, media say, uh, Donald J. Trump was far more trusted, respected, and even if he wasn't liked, uh, uh, they, they, they paid attention to what he said. Uh, with the Biden team, they are so nuanced, over-sophisticated, groveling, and pandering, nobody respects them, um, and especially after the debacle in Afghanistan. So they want to always pretend to be the adults in the room. Yeah, well, if they're the adults in the room, they're, uh, they're routinely ignored and uh, made fun of, and uh, the, other, the other countries just, eh, there's no respect for them. So the, uh, the Taiwan taking the chips, I have a little bit of a different angle on that. Uh, it is uh, Dr. Morris Chang who gave, you know, and I was uh, given a very special uh, tour of the TSMC, just one of the massive TSMC facilities in uh, Taiwan. It was really, hey, you got to, it was really his vision. He was an American citizen, by the way. Um, and he, uh, they had the vision to do chips in a different way. <clears throat> I would say, you know, uh, there are still makers of you, uh, chips such as Intel Corporation, but a lot of the reason, a lot of the work went to uh, went to Taiwan is more because of regulatory oversight. I could never forget during one meeting I was with Intel Corporation during the Obama years where, you know, it was an afternoon. Most everybody was a very high level delegation to the Intel Corporation. One of the briefers came in and uh, the whole idea was commerce was trying to bring microcircuits under export control, very, very tough export control. 
And, you know, the Intel Corporation said, you know what, if that's done, we're just going to have to walk away from the chip business because it's just going to be too difficult. And and I'm obviously I was the only one awake at the time because I, I said, what, what? <laughs> and would you please repeat what you just said? And yeah. everybody started waking up at that time. And, and I said it, that actually became a little bit of a crisis in the uh, Obama administration. It actually took White House calls to state commerce and defense uh, DTSA to try and get, and you wouldn't believe the bureaucrats were blowing off the Obama White House on this. The Obama White House said, you will not put these under export control. And uh, and uh, mm -hmm. the, the deep staters were blowing off the Obama administration on this topic. Uh, it was crazy. And, uh, but that's, that's why, that's one of the reasons, a lot of it, it's not technology, it's not cost effectiveness, it's government oversight regulation. Uh, and impediments that cause this. And, and, and that's, I was a perfect example that just this major corporation, a huge US corporation said, you know what? You do this US government, we're just gonna have to walk away. It's just gonna be too difficult. And that's how it really, that's one of your inputs into the calculus of whether you're gonna build domestically or overseas. And this is really the predominant driving force that drives away American industry. It's not cost. That's silliness. It, that's, that's, mm -hmm. It's not cost. It's government oversight and regulation. So people say, yeah. oh, it's just cheaper overseas. It ain't <laughs> cheaper overseas when you, I mean, it would, if you would take out the government, yeah. the crushing government regulatory oversight, uh, no, it wouldn't be mm -hmm. cheaper overseas. Absolutely. I mean, we're doing the same thing to our auto industry right now through Joe Biden's electric vehicle mandate. Well, well let's take our last question from the live audience over there. I, I see a, a hand. Uh, so uh, go ahead, Shell or Kat, uh, with the question. Bill, go ahead. Yes, uh, Colonel Mills, I think he nailed it. You know, Trump did have respect and I would say uh, fear on, on the world stage. Right. And and Biden does not have that. I know this is a little off topic of Taiwan, but what do you think? How do you think Biden is and will be handling the fact that we just lost U.S. troops to Iran? And, you know, how do you think he'll handle it and how do you think you should handle it? Oh, wow. Poor Bill. That's a great question. Um, it was President Trump that got us out of these base camps. We accomplished the mission. We destroyed ISIS. We got Baghdadi. Uh, we made Soleimani go to pieces. Okay. And then he says, okay, we're done. We're coming home. That's the way we should project power. And they had immense, We sometimes you do want to project fear and they had immense fear uh, and respect of us. What did Biden do? As soon as he got back in office, he reopened these base camps for what strategic end state? What will Biden do? Well, you know, it's kind of what's going on with the Houthi attacks on shipping. We do aggressive finger wagging. You better stop doing it. You better stop doing it or what? Well, we'll do a bunch of airstrikes. Okay, I think we're on our ninth round of airstrikes against the Houthis. And the official guidance is not to destroy the Houthis. It's to degrade them. I don't know what degrade means. How can you drop a bomb and degrade somebody? You either kill them or you don't kill them. I mean, this is ridiculous. So I think we're going to see more moralizing, lecturing, finger wagging, which is only going to cause a wider conflict because what's going on right now with our base camps, 
And, and now that it's acknowledged that we have base camps in, in Jordan, which Jordan has actually been a very, very good American partner. They just, they don't want any recognition, but they've been very good. Um, they have to pretend to be outraged over uh, Hamas and things and, and the Israeli invasion into Gaza, but they're very good in many ways. Biden's going to be outraged. They're going to do this, this finger wagging. It's only going to get worse. This is part of a strategic campaign led by Iran at the direction of China to push America out of the Middle East. Okay, well, some people say, well, we are America first. We don't need to be in the Middle East anyway. Um, there's a difference between America first and having influence in a region here. So, I mean, you know, America first means having an influence. We just don't evaporate and disappear. That's not America first. We need to have influence. So I think it's going to get worse. This is an intentional strategic campaign to drive us out between Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthi attacks on shipping, and now the consistent attacks on base camps, now three dead. Plus, we've already had 200 injured. Now everybody, the White House will go, oh, they're only injured. Well, Having an arm or a leg blown off or missing an eye from an attack, I, I think most people would say that's pretty serious and life-changing. So I, I don't I don't like John Kirby going, oh, they were only injured. Well, having a, missing an arm is uh, that's a, that's that's wrong. It's a life-changing event. Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see that the Biden administration or Joe Biden himself has the ability to to do the right thing and and respond with the necessary amount of force. And more importantly, remove the word and outlaw it, degrade from any military mission statement that the United States uh, Armed Forces sign up to because degrade is the stupidest military objective you can put out there because it's not an objective and it's difficult to define. You destroy the enemy and their capability and reestablish deterrence. That's what you do, and you don't stop until you reestablish deterrence, in my mind. I think we ought to take the Iranian Navy off the water completely. They're helping the Houthis, and then, and then destroy yeah, the Iranian we got, we militias got two that are Iranian all out there We got two Iranian ships that I don't believe have vacated the area. We need to give them, you need to give them three hours to get out of the area, or they will be sunk. As simple as that.